0: Oh, man, good morning. Um, Here we go. Claire, I was racking my brain trying to figure out what pictures I could use for this. And I thought to myself, as I did my phantom bangs to the side, no, no. We'll do some bald pictures. I don't want to throw you guys off. Hey, if you're not there already, please turn into your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to just kind of do a couple verses at a time as we talk about our text, because we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16 in Ephesians chapter 4, the title of today's sermon. If you haven't looked at your bulletin, it is the privilege and obligations of our calling. So let's look, well first, you know what, let me, let me give you a little, let me get some context here to where I'm going. There was a small boy who asked a woman who was sitting by a swimming pool one day, do you believe in God? The woman was stunned, but she replied, of course I believe in God. And on hearing this answer, the boy said, good, then you can keep my money and my watch while I go swimming. See, the boy here believed that belief and behavior are tied together. He trusted this woman because she believed in God. You're not going to steal my money and watch. And you know what? Paul believed this as well, and that belief is tied to behavior. So we have the absolute privilege, folks, of being called, but we also have the obligations to this calling, and that's what Paul is teaching us today in this text. So if you're there, look at Ephesians 4. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Together, <clears throat> I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Okay, so let's talk about the obligations and the privilege of this walk that we call a walk worthily. Believers are chosen. Believers are chosen to live out God's purposes in their lives. The word walk, folks, it is repeatedly used in the last three chapters of Ephesians. So it is important. And it's referring to one's course of life, their conduct or way of living, a life, if you will, lived in harmony with God's will. Now we are privileged to be called to God in salvation. We are privileged to be called to God in our inheritance. We are privileged to be called in our justification. And you know what? Just to be part of his eternal plan, we are privileged. However, Paul uses the words, urge you to walk. See, Paul is using these words to strongly appeal to the Ephesian believers, his audience. And this morning, it is my hope that this Scripture strongly appeals to us. So believers are urged to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which they have received. Now here lies, here lies the obligations to the privilege of being called. To walk in a manner worthy. Now Paul not only urges us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling... But what does he do? He actually defines what this worthy walk looks like. This means that we have both the obligation and duty to live in accord with our calling. I gotta say that again. We have the duty and the obligation to live in accord with our calling. But don't let the order of things here escape you, church family. Our behavior always follows our initial calling to God, that is our rebirth. It is only after the experience of new life, that experience of regeneration, that God's people are able to follow His commands. Now, and that's faithfully and worthily following those commands. So let's look at how Paul describes this worthy walk. It's right here in your Bible. 4? Ephesians 4.2, we just read it. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. So Paul lists four spiritual virtues that characterize the Christian's worthy walk in their calling. Humility. Another word is lowliness. Humility or lowliness. This speaks to our def- full, our Full dependence on God. There's the first one. And yes, I understand humility and gentleness are very closely related, but gentleness here, or another way to say it is meekness, meekness, is describing believers who are gentle in their relationships with others. And then there's patience or forbearance. This trait is describing those who bear the weaknesses and failures of others. And if you feel like you're having a hard time doing that, Jesus does that for you every day. Forbearance, patience, and all of this, all of this is in love, meaning that love is the quality of seeking the highest good in others. I personally believe that the virtues listed here start in love and end in love. And I'll explain that more as I go. I want to call attention, though, to the word all in verse 2. Do you see that right there? All? The word all underscores the importance and the necessity of the two qualities, humility and gentleness. It underscores the importance of those two words. Now, in light of of the emphasis, excuse me, on unity that we're about to discuss, in light of this emphasis, in this section, Paul is stressing the need for humility and gentleness. Why? Because pride is the counter to these. And if you don't think pride is a problem, oh, brother, it is destructive for a believer. Pride is destructive for a group. Pride is destructive for a church. And the counter to these is what? Humility and gentleness. This is part of our walk, our worthy manner in our walk. So, James 4.6 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is where we want to find ourselves in that humility for that grace. Because who does he oppose? The proud. So pride has to be countered. And that's why Paul is emphasizing all in this text. Now these virtues, these characteristics are fruits of the Spirit. Church family, if we were baptized in the Spirit, and if we are indwelt by the Spirit, and if we are continually being filled with the Spirit, then these fruits should be visible. Visible. In our worthy walk, they should be visible. And what is the means in which believers are to conduct their lives? In love. We have obligations to the privilege of our calling. There it is, first and foremost. Now we're gonna go a little deeper. Too many people, too many people, this is believers included now. Allow someone else to do the work or service they themselves should be doing. Someone else will do it. No, I'm not ready for that. I need to grow more. There's all kinds of ways and all kinds of things that can be said to dissuade you, to talk you out of this. But we are called to serve. Here's a story that kind of points it out. Because you know what can happen? This can become a way of life. Somebody else will do it. So here's the story. There was a farmer, and you know I love to talk about farmers where we live here in Reesville. It's like one of my favorite things. There was a farmer sitting on the porch of his house when a stranger came by and asked, hey, how's things? Tolerable, came the reply. He continued, two weeks ago, a tornado came along and knocked down all the trees, I would have had to chop down for winter's firewood. Hmm. Then last week, lightning struck the brush I had planned to burn to clear the fields for planting. The stranger responded, hey, that is remarkable. So what are you doing now? Well, he said the farmer answered, I'm waiting on an earthquake, uh, earthquake excuse me, to come along and shake the taters right out of the ground. right? Don't wait for a sign. God wants you to work in his kingdom today. So we have to get off the porch just like this farmer does. We have to get off the porch because there is work to be done as we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So let's look at the next section here. Look at verses 3 through 6 in our text. Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We talked about this verse last week together, didn't we? We talked about the church being an empowered church through the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at the maintenance, excuse me, the maintenance and the privilege of unity. What is the basis for this? Well, Scripture tells us that unity consists of one body, Spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, and God and Father. All of these belong to your call. Isn't that amazing? All of these belong to your call. So, the basis for our unity. One body and one spirit. Paul is teaching about the church as being one body in Christ and to the Holy Spirit who energizes us personally and corporately, as we see today, who leads and guides us through His power, through His influence towards the common goal of unification, which the body is always progressing. Hey, even if you're not jumping on the, the wagon here, the body is still always progressing. And this is important for a believer to understand what they're a part of, okay? So let's go to the next here. We have one Lord, we have one faith, we have one baptism. Here we are focused on Jesus Christ, right, who is our Lord and Savior. Faith is what believers experience experience with Christ. And baptism, whether we want to talk about spiritual baptism or water, this, folks, is symbolic of our sign of our faith. It is symbolic to the sign of our faith in Christ. And our God and Father of all, well, this teaches us that our sovereign God is the ultimate source for your spiritual unity. Sometimes we forget about unity and unification of the body, but I need to go ahead and say it one more time. The ultimate source, where this comes from, is God. So you can't look to someone else and go, well, I don't believe unification for the church is important. I don't think unity is that, that big a deal. No, because the ultimate source is from God. And this is the hope that belongs to your call. Everybody wants hope. This is the hope that belongs to your call. With this privilege of being a part of the body, with this privilege of being unified, there is an obligation to maintain this privilege and unity as we live out our lives under the orders of God. This is not Pastor Mark saying this is what you've got to do. These are the orders of God. Now, eager to maintain, that's endeavoring, right? That's an eagerness or zeal or or a diligence to nurture the unity of the Spirit. And in the what? Why? The Bible tells us it's because of the bond of peace. God brought peace between us when he sent Jesus at the Incarnation. We celebrated it at Christmas. Peace was brought between God and man. And now what we're seeing here is this peace can overflow into our very lives, into our worthily walk with each other as we are empowered through the Spirit. So we are walking together in this maintenance. Now, folks, this peace, this is the disposition of a believer's life. This is the disposition of a believer's life to guard the unity of the body, right? And we're talking about believers guarding this flock, if you will. Hear me out. How do we guard the flock? That's interesting. If it's what we believe and it's important to guard the unity, how is this done? Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you one of my favorite words. Believers must make a continuous effort to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Yes, I said it, a continuous effort. We have to continue in the faith, right? There are many things in our Christian walk that we have to continue in, and one of them is unity. What is it? It's a continuous effort, not once, not twice, continually. And again, let me, I need to reiterate something here. We are not being asked to create unity. You're not manifesting this. This is not something you're waking up in the morning going, I'm really going to try hard. No. What this is, is the maintenance of unity that already exists because of the finished work of Christ. We are maintaining the unity in the finished work of Christ. That's how important it is. So, going back to last week's sermon... If we are to be an empowered church like the one that began at Pentecost, we must allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and influence us in this maintenance. And what are the results of this, folks? What binds Christians together? Peace itself. Think about it. It all comes down to that peace. And that's what we want to experience. I think it is of the utmost importance as well to point out something here. I want to point out the relationship of the Trinity. In this text, we have mention of the Spirit. We have mention of Jesus, the Son, and of God the Father. We have mention of all three. This is our perfect example of what true unity looks like, and this is where our unity comes from, the triune God. I don't know if you remember, maybe you do, National Geographic. My grandmother had thousands of these. My mom had them. We usually got it all from her, too. I can't escape that yellow border. You know what I'm talking about, the yellow outline of a National Geographic? We had them. Oh, my goodness, folks. If something was missing in the house, maybe it was behind the National Geographics. That's how many there were. And this one year, May of 1987, there was a feature about the Arctic Wolf. The Arctic Wolf. If you're into wolves, that's awesome. I am, too and they had a team following a seven-member pack that had targeted several musk oxen calves, okay? Now, these calves were being guarded by 11 adults, their parents. Well, as the wolves approached their target, the musk oxen bunched in a group in an impenetrable semicircle, okay? The calves were inside, the parents were on the outside, and as they approached they had the rear hooves, these deadly rear hooves facing out towards the enemy. Now the calves remained safe during a long, long standoff with the enemy. This is speaking to our unity, right? Guarding our unity. But then a single ox, a single one broke rank. It just took one. It broke rank. The herd began to scatter into these nervous little groups. Uh, There was this great skirmish that ensued. And the adult's fled in panic during this. They fled in panic, leaving the calves to the mercy of the predators. Not a single calf survived. When they were safe, they were guarded. They were prepared for this enemy. When they broke ranks, no one was safe anymore. The calves died. You know what? Paul warned the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 about his departure and that wolves would come, not sparing the flock. Look at these. I'm going to read it to you. Acts 20, 28, and 29. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Folks, Wolves continue to attack the church today. We are not safe from wolves. They are out there. But, they cannot penetrate and destroy when unity is maintained, when it is guarded. So we have an obligation not to maintain unity based on the sole purpose or principle of unity itself. No. We maintain grounded in the reality of the triune God, who is the basis for the unity of the Spirit in which we all experience. That's how important it is to guard the flock. Rear hooves out, ready for attack. So that's our privilege and our obligations. Let's look at ministry. Everybody, look at verses 7 through 14. Ephesians 7 through 14, 4 7 through 14. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave them gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descends is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So let's talk about this privilege first in ministry. We have the privilege of God's provision as members of the body right we are the church we have privilege of god's provision in receiving gifts to maintain ministry now our text in verses 8 through 10 that is revealing right that person is uh, the verses there are revealing the person of jesus christ who is sovereignly gifting believers and this gifting is for the greater good of his church he is looking out for his by giving these gifts to mankind in order to maintain ministry this is according to his grace it is it's the measure of the gift according to his grace another way to understand this would be called ministry grace which is given to believers through jesus now these gifts they show our participation in the unity that was just discussed The gifts reveal that. But what's interesting is that we, you and I, we are contributors to the edification of the church because we are members of that body. You and I, and if you don't want to believe this, it's scriptural, we are contributors to the edification of church because we are part of that body. In other words, we are effective participants in this we are privileged due to the fact that we are on the receiving end we are on the receiving end of others sharing their christ-given gifts praise god for that and we are being blessed with our very own christ-given gifts so there is a privilege there and i'm going to use the word therefore we are obligated to maintain ministry so there are many spiritual gifts listed in the new testament But here we are seeing the gifts as the person themselves. Not individual spiritual gifts, but the persons themselves. These persons are being given to what? Unify and mature the church. Now Paul lists four different types, actually five, but I'm going to allow two of them to overlap. I'm going to talk about four different types of individuals who are gifted by Christ. And again, given to the church. First, he says apostles. Well, that's just like Paul himself. Also like Peter. Apostles. And then there are prophets. Folks, we are not talking about prophesying future events. Prophesying here, prophets, are those who were alive during Paul's time who spoke biblical truth to the church body. Biblical truth. That's the prophesying part. And then we have evangelists. We have evangelists such as Timothy. Timothy. Philip, Mark, we have people that were traveling. So who they would travel from place to place to equip, or they were equipped, and equipped others in the spreading of the gospel. And then we have shepherds and teachers. Shepherds are also pastors. I like to use the term under-shepherds, as a lot of you do. They are pastors, and we have teachers. Now those are people who shepherd God's people as well as teach them. But pastors can be teachers, that's obvious, Pastors can be teachers, but teachers are not necessarily pastors. But I like that these two overlap a little bit. So here we are. Christ has given these leaders to equip believers who are involved in the work of ministry. He's given these people to help the body in ministry. So these ministers, these leaders listed, are not appointed to do the work for the members but to prepare and equip the members for their work. Remember the story of getting off the porch? We don't do the work for you. You have your task. We have our task. So here lies the obligation to those people who Christ gifted to the church to lead, for these leaders to equip believers. And then with the believers, their obligation is in the task of that service. That's how this all works. And why is this obligation imperative? Because we are building up the body of Christ. We are building up the body of Christ. And I want you to continue to think about those young oxen that were attacked and killed by those wolves. That's how serious we are to protect and maintain the unity of our body as well as be ministers to each other in that body. It's a sacred thing that has been given to us but he has equipped us for this. So here lies the obligation to those people, the leaders, of course, and to the, the, the believers that are being equipped. This growth, folks, what I'm talking about here, this, this growth, it is about spiritual strengthening and it's about spiritual maturity. Growth in both of those. This is the focus and this is the ultimate goal of Christ giving us these gifts. He wants his church to become spiritually mature. So this obligation to our call is vital. Again, look at verse 13. Until we attain what? Unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ's body should be in agreement in what we believe. Our faith, we shouldn't be we should be in agreement in agreement about our faith. Christ's body should affirm the essential truths about Jesus. The essential truths should be affirmed. Christ's body should desire to attain the fullness of maturity in our walk. Paul explains to us what the opposite looks like. Look at verse 14, folks so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In light of these dangers, in light of these dangers, believers are encouraged to be firmly grounded in the apostolic teachings so that they may develop and they may grow into mature followers of Christ. And this is the obligation in ministry. Let's look at the last two verses as we close 15 and 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Folks, we are not to stay children but to grow up. I am telling you, look in the mirror. Our physical bodies, we have grown from a child to an adult. We didn't stop the process, did we? We are aging. We are no longer children. This is what's supposed to be happening spiritually. Look at the physical to understand what's supposed to be happening spiritually. We are not to stay children. Our goal is to become more and more like our Savior. So the whole body which you are a member of, when it is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what we are to be doing with the church. God gifts all believers, empowered through the Spirit. You are empowered to use these gifts for the benefit of others. And what is the result of this? The body grows in maturity, not numbers, in maturity so if our calling if our calling is to live out god's purposes in our lives then we are to walk conduct ourselves walk to behave in a manner worthy of this calling This is not something you can pass on to another person. You can't stand on the platform of someone else will do it. Church family, this lands directly in your lap. I want to say that again. Your calling is your calling. It lands directly into your lap. So Paul expounds so well on our worthy walk and what it should consist of. Since behavior follow me here, since behavior is tied to belief, remember the boy at the pool, trusting the woman, since behavior is tied to belief, we are going to shed light here on how we are to deal with others resulting in peace. Paul explains that. We are doing what? We are to deal with others with gentleness and humility. Why? For that bond of peace. We have that. And then the oneness of God. His example in unity. These are individual members coming together in one body and one hope. And to help us walk worthy. Whoa. Walk worthy. He gives us the gift and the benefit here of those in the maintenance of unity and ministry. He provides the power and the necessary things for you and I to maintain unity and Ministry. But why? Well, the result of this maintenance is maturity. We understand that. It's building up the body of Christ to stand against what? False doctrine. What else? The Bible tells us human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. The wolves are out there. How do we stand against them? Well, we build up the body of Christ and we get strong, unified, and in ministry. So, belief is tied to the behavior of growing up in every way into Christ. Can't escape that. Belief is tied to the behavior of becoming equipped. Can't escape that. Belief is tied to the behavior of us as members who are working properly. Can't escape that. Belief is tied to the behavior in our growth. And most importantly, most importantly, belief is tied to our behavior in love. The words in love repeat three times in our text today. Three times. The privilege we have in our call is because of love. The obligations we have in our call cannot be carried out unless they are in love. Folks, love has to be present when we are fulfilling our obligations to the call which we have all received. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father God, I just thank you for this day. Lord, this is a wonderful, wonderful day. I thank you for the, the music, Father, putting into, put us in that place of worship, Lord. I was there, Lord. I was there. I still am. Father, this message moves me And I hope it moves your flock, your body present today, Lord. I hope it moves them because we have our very own personal calling by you, our sovereign God. You called us. You saved us. You justified us. One day you'll glorify us. But we have a calling and we have a purpose here. That calling is to live out the purposes you have for us. And one way we do that is to walk in a manner that's worthy of this privileged calling. Father, this is where we ask you to help us. We need help. Father, we need humility. We need gentleness. We need patience. We need to be able to bear with each other, Father, and all these in love. We understand that this is a continual thing, Lord. As a Christian believer, it's a continual thing. Help us, Father God, help us work towards unifying this body, protecting this body ministering to this body because it belongs to you. And individually, we all become a member of that body. We are one, just like our God is one. Holy, holy, holy. God in three persons. This body comes together as one. We belong to Christ who is the head. Father, let us live out the purposes you have for our life. Father, we pray for strength and guidance in this. Father, build us up as you have us build your body. That's my prayer today, that we take seriously our own individual walks so that when we come together corporately, we are an empowered, empowered church. That's my prayer today, Father. Lord, I thank you for the service. I pray for those that are traveling today and out of town. I pray for those who are sick and couldn't be here. Lord, I lift them up to you. You know each and every one of their needs. Pray that you bring them all back to us safe. Father, we thank you for this day and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.